Hello and welcome back to the Red Sector. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and X at Red Sector GP. I'm your host for today's episode, Matt, and I'm joined as always by Elisa, who at this point is the most consistent host we have. Uh, Elisa, how was your weekend? How you been? You know, I believe that consistency is key, just like just like John Mir's championship this season. You know, it's always showing up at least. Anyway, I had a good weekend. You know, uh, it's it's after after a weekend off and you know going to these last three races. It's it's amazing, uh, amazing to watch. Even if even if the action is not as spectacular always, but still, you always love to see some bikes on track. Yeah, anytime there's bikes on track, whether it's. MotoGP, World Superbike, Supercross, Motocross, whatever it is. It's always good to see two wheels out there. Um, yeah, this was a... This weekend was kind of interesting because, I mean, there's... The, you had the rumor machine going at full force, it seemed like. Um, you have all the promotional hype around Benya um, and Martin's battle and... Um, there was the whole thing of if Pedro Costa like finished the race, it seemed like he was going to win the championship. There was a lot of hype around going into this uh, race weekend. Um, yeah, some of it played out as expected, and some of it we're still wondering what's going on. But uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting race weekend. I, I'll say that much. Um, looking at the news uh, going into this, we didn't really have a lot of news. Uh, the I think the biggest rumor was uh, Furman Aldegar was rumored to be going to Repsol. Uh, he was like a top candidate. And then that sort of like piltered out once the race weekend started. And we get to Sunday, and then all of a sudden there's this huge rumor that Luca Marini is uh, guaranteed, pretty much signed. Like It's been all over the place where he is with this Repsol deal. Um, you know, going into the weekend, the, the big name was Furman Aldegar, and you were sort of hearing, oh, Luca Marini's in the mix, and there were a couple other riders. And by Sunday, it was like, oh, Luca Marini is almost signed with Repsol Honda. It was... It, it was the uh, pre-race buildup you sort of started hearing little like mentions of it from the commentators. And I was frantically like searching Twitter. Like, what did I miss? You know, who, who released this? Where does it, what did I, because I watched this first thing in the morning on Sunday after it had already happened. So I'm like frantically like, what did I miss? Uh, but yeah. What were your thoughts about this whole rumor mill this weekend? In general, it just feels like the MotoGP paddock is just a big game of telephone. Like at some point in the weekend, like Fermi Aldegar, so wish route to Luca Marini. I don't, I don't see many. Uh, the, the names are not that similar, but something must have happened in, in between. You know, I think at the beginning of it, Fermi Aldegar sounded a bit like a, like a long shot. Not in terms of like, not that anyone would go for it, but just as we had discussed, he's so young. Uh, it's it's a lot at that age, and and Honda had clearly been eyeing up some some more experienced riders for the for the seat previously with Miguel Oliveira and the other Aprilia riders talked about even if it's not as as concrete as it was. But yeah, 
it's a bit surprising to see Lucas' name thrown out there, but uh, in, like, I think the only surprising thing is that all of this happens so late in the season that there's no clarification yet. But in terms of him as a rider, I I, I get why Honda is looking at him because I I see him uh, as a as a very talented like analytical rider in many ways, and I think he could he could see himself as um, I, I guess if he signs with Repsol, I think he he sees himself as someone who can make a difference with the project, not necessarily like doing a Mark Marquez and just trying to get everything out of it, but in terms of like actually developing the project forward, and that must be why he would look forward to a Honda project, because otherwise the downsides are obvious, you know, looking at the bike. But I think I think for Marini only the reason would be that he sees no future of progression for himself himself in Ducati, because let's be let's be honest, he's not he's not I don't think even the third pick for a factory Ducati seed if one opens up. And I don't think even a Pramac seed would be a guaranteed one. So I, I understand from his point of view, you know, this is his third season in that in the category. Obviously he has not won, won a race, but you know, you, you still have seen this progression from him. And I, I guess you'd want to, you'd really want to, you know, move on and, you know, maybe spread your wings outside of the, outside of the system. Yeah. And you were saying about, um, uh, with Furman Aldegar being rumored to Repsol, he's still rumored to be coming to MotoGP because they're saying if Luca Marini goes to Repsol, uh, VR46's first candidate is Furman Aldegar to take Marini's spot. Um, so it, I think if he does come to MotoGP, it'll be interesting. Um, because I, I really think if he stays in Moto2, he could be the champion next season. Um, at least he'd be a really strong candidate for it. Um, and I, there's so much stuff that goes into Luca Marini just going to Repsol. I mean, for one, he's departing his brother's team, a team that he knows. He grew up with probably everybody there. So there's that familiarity that he's going to be leaving. Um, he's a monster energy rider, so he has to give up that contract and become a Red Bull sponsored rider. Um, yeah, there's owing to that Repsol team, and I mean that team. When you're on that team, you're under a microscope at all times. You're expected to perform. Your you know, where with VR46, it was it seemed like he. Not so much had it easy, but he could like, oh, yeah, go out there. And if you do a 10th, okay, you know, just go out there and try to do your best. If you get on the podium or could battle for a win, hey, that's great. But, I mean, going to Repsol, yeah, we bike isn't as good anymore. Um, they're, you know, kind of in a rebuild, so to speak. Um, so I don't think they're going to expect him to go in and be battling for race wins right off the bat on the Honda. But... I mean, he is going to be under more of a microscope there. And, you know, he's sort of on a hot seat. Um, I'm I'm sure, depending on whatever kind of contract he signs, whether it's a one-year or two-year, um, I, I would hope it'd be a two-year. they give him, like, one year to get acclimated with the bike, kind of help develop it, and then the second year would be whenever they, you know, really start making strides, but... Uh, it's, and so far, like I've, we're recording this, you know, Monday, 
I keep refreshing Twitter, just hoping something, you know, comes of it. But so far, it's just all speculation and rumors and nothing set in stone yet. So it'll be interesting to see over the next week because we have Qatar coming up uh, this coming weekend. Um, If anything happens between now and then, um, if anything happens in Qatar, um, do I hope it happens? I would rather like to see Marini stay at ER 46. I'd like to see him stay there. And like you said, he's like the sixth rider out of eight uh, Ducatis. So, it, I understand where he's where Luca Marini has to look at it as well. This might be my only chance to get to a factory seat. Um, so I understand where he's looking at it, but I would I'd much rather see him stay. Yeah, with ER forty six, but yeah, you got to do what yeah. you got to do. Yeah, I mean, looking looking at the state of a Honda bike, I I wouldn't like I, I wouldn't recommend that to my worst enemy at this hour. So you know, seeing riders I like going into that bike is not is is not really hope inducing. But I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't think it's a bad signing for Honda and for Marini. I mean, in general, his competitiveness, and I still argue that you know, having great results on the Ducati could still. Give give you a better shot at other factories, even. But you know, as you said, you gotta do what you gotta do. And I'd maybe like like the seat to go to Fabio Di Gian Antonio, just in terms of having him stay in MotoGP for the Honda mm-hmm. seat. And I think Marini could be very content with his VR46 future. But you know, you never know. It's just it's just shocking to me that we are literally two weeks out from the Valencia test, and we don't know who's going to be riding riding that Honda. Or the test, and that is amazing. And like, you look at it like, okay, last week it was, or in the past couple weeks, it's been DG. Okay, DG's probably a show, and he just got that podium. Uh, he's been a great run of form. It, like, DG's name was linked to that Honda seat. You had Ikalakawona in there a little bit too, but then, yeah, and Everybody else is on. It's just that one Repsol seat. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, Furman Aldegar. It's like, okay, yeah, I guess I could see you know, he's he's at Moto2. They could probably very easily pay, you know, buy him out of his contract with uh, the speed-up team. Okay, cool. Yeah, And then, like, Sunday morning, it's like, Luca Marini, you're like, wait, what? He's he's already signed. How are you managing this? How is how is this going to play out? Um. And then, like, if he does go, then you have the VR46 seat opening back up. So then it turns, so then it starts all back over of, like, okay, who's going to VR46 now? Is it getting, yeah. do, do they give DG a chance? Do they try to get Aldegar from Moto2? Is there, do they, I mean, for all we know, if Luca Marini does make this, we start hearing about Celestino Vietti moving up. Yeah, I, I think. Don't, I think in general, I heard, uh, and this is tied, tied back to Yamaha again, with Yamaha and its links to VR46, because they obviously have the Yamaha VR46 Mastercam team yep. in, in Moto2. And I heard, I heard I think Paddock Pass discussed that Yamaha were looking forward to maybe buying out either either Alonso Lopez or Fermin Aldeguer to come into the 
the Master Comp team, and they said it would be quite a lot of money because it would be an investment already in Moto 2 to buy out. I think it was a big sum of money. But it, it looked like, but I don't know how much of that is like Yamaha's willingness to like build, build a talent from that way forward, or how much is it tied to the VR46 side of it? Because obviously mm-hmm. these aren't Italian riders. It, it, this is clearly different from the VR46 Academy in, in itself, but I don't know if it's if it's still linked at, at, at you know in a way that VR46 would also look at it but be like, well, these are also riders that interest us in terms of a MotoGP team in the future, because I think um, even as a MotoGP team, I'm sure they are still looking to you know promote their own talent. So I think obviously they have they have to see a future where Marco Besecchi or, or someone would step up into a factory team, hopefully. And I think that must be something behind Luca Marini already. I remember Marini being talked about for the Pramac seed also when that was open. So I think it's clearly in their vision to you know you know keep keep the Via 46 riders on the grid if there are no other spots or get them to other seats uh, so that's that's an interesting dynamic there but yeah at this point i don't know but feminine gear to modern tp with Via 46 you know that would be better than the honda deal i'd say that oh for sure i mean anything other than that honda is would be a better option i just like I said before, I just I really wish he would stay in Moto Two. I think he could be a Moto Two champion if he did stay there. Um, I, as a racer, you want to be racing in the best series, so I understand if he would make the jump. Um, it would really be a disappointment for DG to be. Is he was sort of like almost thrown this life preserver, and is now getting it taken away from him. Because if, unless he gets the Honda seat, I don't see him, I don't see him going to VR46 if this move does happen. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's disappointing for him, but yeah, as for in Aldegar's place, you got to do what you got to do. You know, every, these, all these riders want to be racing in MotoGP. So if he's given that chance, to go to race in MotoGP as opposed to doing another year and possibly being a Moto2 champion. Hey, yeah, I understand it. It'd be really disappointing. Um, one thing I saw on uh, Twitter, uh, Crash MotoGP uh, tweeted this out that um, if this move does happen, Luca Marini and Santi Hernandez could be together in the Repsol team, just like uh, Rossi was 20 years ago. So, it it would be interesting. I'm sure that would be a familiar thing for Marini to have there. I'm sure that would be something neat. But, yeah, this it's going to be an interesting next couple of weeks with this, uh, seeing how this plays out and who ends up where. Um, but, yeah, other than that, there wasn't really any other news, was there? No, the Honda. The Honda is sucking all the air out of everything else. <laughs> so, uh, moving into our results for the weekend, uh, Moto3, we had a podium of Colin Vire, Ayuma Sasaki, and Jeremy Masia. And this race at points wasn't... It had its highs and its lows for me. I mean, you had this top three going back and forth, and then from there you were at a six-second gap back to yeah, Ortola. Um, 
I think one of the biggest things was the David Alonso crash. That sort of like was a gut punch. Yeah, I think I think in terms of in general this race, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen a race where this this many title contenders get just wiped out of title contention. It like <laughs> it had a monumental impact in, in many of the title challenges. Obviously, we discussed the week before, and I still stand by what I said when I said that Ayumi Sasaki would be Basia's greatest uh, greatest threat in the championship because he's that close in terms of points, and I think this. Uh, pretty much showed it. Not in obviously, not, not that I wanted any of this had to happen, but in terms of like the fact that when a, when a mistake happens, it 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 wipes you out of contention. I mean, Denis Enchu is completely out of out of it now, and I think uh, I think it would take a second miracle like uh, for Alonso and Olgado to be in it. I think Masia would have to DNF next week, and then they have they would have to win. And I don't know, both both of them can't win, so I think that's that's the only way they would stay in contention. And even with that, it would it would require a second DNF from Masia then, and then to win the race to them win the championship. So I think this is pretty much title hopes over. But yeah, the Alonso crash, the first one. First of all, it looked very scary because you saw him high side, and you just saw all the bikes piling piling from behind him and then you saw this massive crash and you know I'm so happy to see everyone walking it off but yeah it's yeah no not not good for Alonso and you know you have to feel sorry for Danny Holgado as well you know innocent bystander in this not the first time he's been wiped out by this but also yeah very, very unfortunate yeah looking uh the jump ahead a bit looking at the standings Massey is on 246 Sasaki's on 233 so there's a 13 point difference there uh, and then third place is tied between Alonso and Halgado with 205, and Anchu's on 195. So it, for Anchu, it would take an absolute miracle. No, it's um, not mathematically possible for Anchu. Oh, I it's not think. anymore? No, no. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, Alonso and Halgado, yeah, they'd pay, they would need Sasaki and Masia to both crash out of the next two races and them to win for them to be able to even contend for a championship um so i mean it's not over the 13 points can easily be made up in um moto three yeah it would just like we saw this weekend anything can happen in these races uh yeah we had nine riders go down in uh moto three um, like you said, a lot of top contenders. So it's it's far from over. Even though there's only two races left, I think this is very far from over. I think this will come down to Valencia. Because I mean, looking at Qatar last season, this was a race Yuma Sasaki did very well in. And it, it wasn't until he, I think he high-sided and blew the fairing off. It had to pull in the pits because the fairing was hanging halfway off. So if he can get that same form, I mean, the track's been repaved, so we'll have to see. But I think that if if he can find that same form, this is a race that Sasaki could do well in and maybe take some points out. I, I definitely think this is going down to Valencia. Yeah, obviously. Obviously, there's a technical chance that Masia might win this next weekend already, but I don't think it's... Based on the recent form, un- unless uh, un- unless Sasaki goes down, I don't think I don't think it's g- getting uh, getting uh, uh, be- 
the champion is being declared next weekend in in it. But yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. I think uh, Sasaki is obviously like thirteen points. It's not a lot, but it's still you know it, like we saw this weekend. They are second and third. That's not an, enough of a difference to make up for it. So I think it, it Sasaki would most likely need to win. And there, he needs to have other riders in between them. But obviously, you know, we have this race's winner, Colin Weyer, who has been looking very fast mm-hmm. of late. So, you know, he, he could very well easily go in between. And I I think I think it was interesting because you heard the commentators talking about, you know, maybe he's playing a team game. And I'm like, I, I understand the point, but also this is Moto3. You know, mm-hmm. it, with all due respect, I think the only only category you could really talk about team play is MotoGP. And even there, it's not... It's not in no way guaranteed as we look at like someone like Lorenzo and Dovizioso back in back in the day. But even if that, you know, Vire had his first win on the line. It's like it would be needlessly cruel to expect him to play the team game same way you would expect if Zarco was was expected to like not pass Martin for the win in Australia. Like I think that's that's a completely un- unreasonable thing to expect, especially these young of of riders, and especially when it's your fin- first win on the line. So yeah, I think. I think it's unfortunate that Sasaki didn't win for his, his points sake, uh, sake, but he did get those points. And I mean, Vire, bad. Unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. I was I was freaking out during this race because I've been rooting for this kid all... I'm pretty sure he's been my rider of the day for the past how many weeks or how many races. But he, just to see him... I, and to see him be able to get the win and... You know, coming to the line for the last couple of laps, yeah, there was that whole talk of like, you know, is he going to play the team game? Is he going to, you know, help Sasaki get the points? Uh, and the whole time, I'm like, if he, he he's not going to, you know, he sees that first win ahead of him, and he can very easily, you know, take it. Uh, it did come down a bit to the wire, uh, but. I I was so happy to see him get his first win. Wasn't there a thing about he's the first Dutch rider in so many years to win? Yeah, it was a lot of years, I think. Yeah. And I also, I counted it. You have picked Bayer four times as your rider of the day this, this year. And I think the last one has been three weekends in a row. So the previous one was in August. So, yeah, <laughs> certified Colin Bayer fan. Well, and... Getting into Rider of the Day, I'm going to give it to him again. I, I will break Bono's role. I don't care. I have been rooting for this kid. Here he is my, for the fifth time as my Rider of the Day this win. He deserves it. He, I, I see, I really hope he can, you know, he, I, I definitely see him going to Moto2. If he makes it to Moto GP, I'm not sure. But I really hope this kid goes places, so... Uh, Lisa, who's your writer of the day? Um, uh, I will first of all, I want to shout out both both the British riders, Josh Watley and mm. Scott Ogden, for both scoring points. This was an uh, impressive race from them in that sense. Obviously, not a lot of people finished, but they still finished a, a lot of uh, handful of people. So it's not like they were the last to finish and go last to get points. So I think that was good. Um, I think my writer of the day, you know. Uh, I think I think it's gonna be Matteo Bartelle. I think he was running up for the first part of the race. I think the, uh, the one of the crashes hurt him a bit and he fell down a bit. But I still mm-hmm. think I, I liked liked from what I saw from him in general. You know, it's not like he, he's not been a surefire like 
point scorer for most of the season, so I think it's still a good, good shout for him to get get tenth. And I just wanna send my condolences over to Denis Enchu because my 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 heart died out when I saw him taken out by Rueda, his teammate. I mean, obviously. You know, you you knew that dream dream championship was not on. You know, I was I was mentally prepared for him not to win it, but I still wanted to see him. You know, do well in the race, and I I thought he just might make it. Like I saw Rueda go down, I was like, oh, he's he's just far ahead, and then he gets clipped. And I mean, I think shout out to him for still finishing eleven because he he got that bike going very fast. Like it's it's not like Adrian Fernandez in in Australia where he had like. 50 seconds on, on the rest of them. The, the rest of the pack was coming fast, so I think for Rangers to, to, to still finish, and I think, yeah. And I mean, he didn't... I don't know how much shouting he did behind the, behind the screens, but, you know, in terms of his statement, he, he said that, you know, you know, these things happen. I have done that previously to other riders, so I think it shows some maturity for Andrew to realize that these thing, things unfortunately happen, and I think he has to know that there's no championship. To, to get at this point, you know, so I think it's right. a, it's a, it's a, you know, a mature response from a rider. You don't expect to be that mature all the time, but yeah, my my heart went out for him in that moment. You know, that's that's the worst thing that can happen. You know, to make to make it out your teammate, but yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, so Bono's rider of the day for Moto Three is Adrian Fernandez. Uh, he says, "I know there was a huge crash wiping out four riders that promoted everyone up." But still, you can only race what's in front of you. And for someone who's still getting up to pace with everyone, P5 is a solid result. Uh, P.S. I am the biggest curse and jinx there ever was. Goodbye, Alonzo's title hopes. Not uh, mathematically over, so Bono, you can still jinx him even more. Yeah. Yeah, there's still a glimmer of hope. but So I'm sure you know, Bono will hype him up at some point and just completely kill his... Any chance he has, no <laughs> title hope. Um, so moving on to Moto2, uh, before we get to the uh, results, I just just want to give a shout out to uh, Darren Bender. Um, hope he's doing well. Um, during P3, he uh, apparently had a brake failure going into one of the fast corners and had to dive off the bike. He barreled through the, uh, through the gravel trap. Um, the bike went careening into an air fence. They had to red flag it to replace the air fence. Um, I believe it's Crash MotoGP has a uh, video up. It's uh, somebody in the stands of the wreck. Uh, you know, we, watching it happen, um, every, you know, it was sort of like whenever I saw it, it like he just like dropped off the bike. I'm like, something happens. He... Like something was wrong with that bike, and he chose to bail on it. Um, then seeing this, you know, the reports come out that he had a brake failure, and seeing this fan footage, it's it's rough to look at. Uh, so we're glad he's okay. We hope he's doing well. Yeah, best wishes for him. It the grass looked very bad. Mm. Um. So, getting into the results for Moto2, we have a podium of Furman Aldeguer, Pedro Acosta, and Marcus Ramirez. Uh, this finish uh, does give Pedro Acosta the Moto2 championship. Uh, but I, and I feel that really, like, 
Furman Altiger dominated this race. You know, it, you had the going into turn one, you had the little incident with, between him and uh, who was that? Go- uh, Manny Gonzalez, was it? Um, yes, Gonzalez. Um, yeah, which that that scary. looked yeah the way he went down everybody seemed to avoid him um he was able to hop back up and sort of like part the red sea so to speak everyone just sort of went around him um you know, looking back at the incident it, that was just a racing incident you had two riders it, lap one turn one you know, it looked like gonzalez got a little he he went wide was trying to come back in and Aldegar was where he could be, I mean, he Aldegar didn't do anything wrong, um, but from there he built up a seven-second lead over Pedro Acosta. Um, he he absolutely dominated this race, and as I said I think if he stayed in Moto Two next year, he would be a title contender for sure. Um, I don't see anyone else. You know, aside from Pedro Costa, who's we already know is going up um, to the Gas Gas team, I don't see anyone else in this paddock that could compete on the same level as uh, Aldegar. My only my only doubt with that is if he stays with the speed up, we have seen the uh, inconsistency of the Boscoscura. You know, we have seen mm-hmm. you know his teammate Alonso Lopez, you know, win with similar margins and then be nowhere like like the next weekend and that's that's been with Fermin Aldegar as well obviously this is still you know he's, he's building up the momentum and the last last weekends have been good for him so it's not like I don't think it's impossible for him to, to be that but based on the previous form of the bike and the fact that there are rumors that Aldegar really wants to ride a Calex and I think he recognizes that the bike is not it's it's not clearly not the best bike in all, all circuits, and I think that must hamper championship challenges. So I think it's an interesting thing. So yeah, you will know further on. I think I think if he gets a Calex, I think this is, uh, you know, certainly being a championship challenger, and you know he he might be with the with the speed up even. But I think it's a it's a doubt in my mind in in itself. So yeah, it's interesting, but definitely taking nothing away from this win because you know when when you looked at how. Pedro Acosta was after the race. You could see that he he really had nothing to give to mm-hmm. to Aldegar in this race, you know. And I think we should talk a bit about Acosta because he finally wrapped that championship up. With, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we all sort of knew it was coming. I think the with the season he had last season, he had some injuries. Um, you know, he was trying to get up to speed uh, on the. Moto two bike, um, you know, you you saw some races where he had that glimmer to him, where it's like, oh yeah, has Acosta finally come to terms with the Moto two bike? And then I I feel that was a good year, f- even though it wasn't the best results for him. It was probably good in his development. Um, and then you know we see what came of it this season. I mean he. He didn't start off the season super hot, but then once he like once the season got going, he just absolutely dominated this season. Um, you know, to, could it have could he have gotten? 
trying to think of how to put this. Could he have gotten like on the right foot right off the season? Yeah, and he probably would have had this season wrapped up a you know few races ago. Um, you had Tony Arbolino who was who at least gave him somewhat of a decent fight for most of the season, but we all sort of knew because of just who Pedro Acosta is. When we saw what he did in Red Bull Rookies, we saw what he did in Moto Three. You just sort of knew he was going to do this in Moto Two. It was just a matter of was it going to be his rookie season or the season after? Yeah, I think I think last year, as you said, I think it's an important one for his development because it was a tough year, as they a challenging year as they accomplished it. Obviously, the the injury itself, you know, that that hurt his challenges a lot. But you know, the injury was also like in the middle of the season, like before that even. I think the season he had a lot of DNFs. I think he was. I, I I don't believe he got like caught up in the hype, but maybe he was so anxious to get it on because he knew how fast he was. You know, he topped preseason testing. It was like people were shouting him to be the next coming again with with him being a champion. And you you clearly saw it at the end of the season uh, when he won those races. He was really really formidable as as a rider. But I think that that season, you know, seeing ways uh, seeing things not go his way, I think that 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 does some good your character as a rider and I think you know overcoming all of that and then coming out as a champion and you say that the season didn't start off well and that's true but looking at it when he crashed out in France he hasn't crashed out a single time after that and that that right. just goes to show you that he really he really um you, you know just just went on went on an absolute tear at the end of the season you know he's been winning races this there's not a lot of times he hasn't finished on the podium. He has not finished on the podium in Australia, in Barcelona, and in Argentina, as well as with the France DNF, and that's that's you know incredible form. You know that's that's not comparable with any other riders on the grid. So yeah, uh, definitely just looking forward to it a lot next year. And I think just the the words afterwards. I think he said maybe it was a dozen interview. He said it. He said that you know. Or in the MotoGP press conference, he said, "You know, I'm not the new Marquez. You know, I'm the new Pedro Acosta. I think that's a that's a good thing to have. You know, he's his own identity, and you know, I don't think it's a cocky at all. I mean, he surely could, you know, could be some 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 somewhat cocky about you know his success. But I think it's just it it goes to show that he he knows he's good, and you know, it's his own identity. You know, he's he's his own own person in that sense. It's an interesting thing but yeah i think the the championship celebrations were a bit you know muted by looking at him puke yeah. in, in, the, in the park there interview you know i mean uh i'm, I'm hoping he got, he got the medical attention afterwards because it looked rough and i just i just wanted the cameras to stop filming because it, it looked so awkward like you saw him at first puke when when there was the celebration thing the thing when mm-hmm. he was putting on his shirt and then you were like, okay, he's, he's maybe not feeling that good. And then, then he did that in the interview. I just, you know, continued talking on. And I was like, please stop. You know, this is, <laughs> we don't need this. <laughs> yeah. But regardless, a great season. Oh, for sure. And it, yeah, this, the whole post-race you know, celebration, I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't the most memorable. I mean, I don't think the usually the Moto three and the Moto two ones aren't that like big spectacle. Um, 
I, look, if I remember Izan Guevara last year just sort of had one in the corner because he wrapped it up at Phillip Island. And he just sort of had, like, his team down there in, uh, I think it was Miller Corner. And so I wasn't expecting, like, fireworks or, you know, some big thing from uh, this one. But it it was cool to see the boards they had up um, highlighting his championships. And um, it was interesting to see the one that they said the challenging year. Um, Just putting that one up there is like a a nod of like, this is what you went through to get to this Moto2 championship. The shark puppet thing, the big, whoever that was in the shark outfit, I, that was just awful looking. Uh, I, I, I understand why it's there. That's his, uh, I don't know what you want to call it. Mascot icon, whatever whatever word you use, I understand why it was there. It just, it didn't look right. It, I, I felt sorry for whoever was in that. Cause I get, I guarantee you that thing was hot, but, uh, yeah, it, it was definitely one of the more memorable ones. I don't think it'll be one that everybody remembers for like, you know, up there with like the Mark Marquez and Rossi celebrations that we've seen over the year. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely, a memorable one yeah you know i you know the spectacle you know i like the spectacle but most of it you know i just i just like seeing them show some emotion after winning the race you know mm-hmm. i think i think the one celebration i, I remember from from uh, you know more two i think remy garter winning championship he was very emotional afterwards and mm-hmm. the moment i remember was pedro costa actually hugging <laughs> hugging uh, remy's girlfriend you know tyler <laughs> at the end of the race like they, they were celebrating like it was their own championship i think that was that was one of the things you know you know i like to see you know just just showing emotion i don't think i don't think you need some big bad roles or mascots over there necessarily you know mm-hmm. just just you know, go out and celebrate. Definitely not the gold leather leather thing they do in World Superbike because, although that looks cool, it's very you know it takes a lot of time to put on some a set of leather. So I do pray yep. to any any god out there that none of the MotoGP riders ever decide to do something like that. Who uh, who was it? Augusto Fernandez did that last year. Yeah. No. No words. Yeah, oh, uh, the one thing I was kind of worried about whenever he started pulling away, he put, he had the bike on the carpet. I'm like, if he goes down on this carpet, this uh, you know to be for one, he wasn't looking too hot. Like you could tell he was exhausted, and then he starts pulling the, the bike down the carpet. I'm like, if he like tries to snap the throttle or you know do a. Uh, grab the brake and he falls i this may be the most memorable celebration ever just because of how like how big of a fail it would have been but uh yeah it was definitely a it was definitely good to see how you know you could definitely see in just in his facial expressions just how much it meant to him um for rider of the day um Bono's giving his to Ayagura. Um, he says P13 up to P4. Looked fantastic, and I could honestly watch him take on turn nine at Sepang on repeat for days on end. 
The technique and writing style this guy has is beautiful. Also, how's the Outagair fan club looking now? Anyone listening, please feel free to send me your most sincere apologies for laughing at me bang on about this kid for the past two to three years. What a ride. So, Elisa, who's your writer of the day? You know, I mean, I'm I'm guessing who you are gonna pick. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Tony Arbolina. You know, as a as a consolary applies for losing the championship. I think he he lost out massively. I think he went down to twenty second place after the he had to obviously not hit Manny Gonzalez when he was on the track mm-hmm. at the first lap. So I think he got he got up to tenth. You know, not not the most flashy ride. Definitely not what Ayogura had, but still. You know, I think an impressive ride in that sense. You know, finding back some 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 good points on that. That you know, on the day he lost the championship, obviously, it 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 couldn't have come as a surprise for him. But still, you know, to, to see some some fight left in him at this hour, good one. Yeah. Um. For my ride of the day, I'm gonna give a shout out to Joe Roberts. Um. Eighth place, you know, is solid result, but uh, my rider of the day has to go to Marco Ramirez. Uh, to get on the podium, you know, he, he was so close a couple races ago, uh, had the P4, and this race, it, it was sort of getting sketchy towards the end because he, his pace dropped off a lot, and Iagura was catching him lap after lap after lap, and, you know, by the I think by the end, what, they were only, yeah, about four-tenths of a second apart from each other. And so there there was a lot of, like, drama coming up for that podium spot of, is Agur going to catch Ramirez? Can Ramirez hold this off and get his first podium? He did, and I was so excited to see that happening. I was even... Like, as I was watching this, I was like, all right, I was like, I think Ramirez is going to get my rider of the day. And then I go start catching him, like, oh, please don't ruin this for me. Yeah, I think I think the last lap, obviously, we saw Ayogura also drop the pace quite significantly the last lap, because I think, like, two laps to go, Ogura had already caught him, and I was like, oh, he's so much faster, you know, he's just going to mm-hmm. blow right past him. And then he didn't, and then he went to the last lap. And then we started filming Pedro Acosta because he was winning the championship. I was yep. like, there's a battle going on. Please show it to me. And I was like, you know, you know no, nothing against Pedro Acosta. But I was like, you know, he's, he's getting the podium and we can't even see it. But then, obviously, there, there wasn't... I don't think there was a lot of action on track. I think it's just, just falling behind. But still, I was like so anxious, and I just kept listening to the commentators at, at, in, in the midst of, you know, praising Acosta, you know, saying that, oh, Okura still hasn't passed Ramirez. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just shocking. I was like, please, please film just a second of the other battle. Please, please. But, yeah. And, uh, stuff like that, I wish they could, like, MotoGP would start doing, like, picture-in-picture kind of stuff. You know, you could, like, have it on the big picture of this battle between because we've been for the last like so many laps of the race we're watching Agura slowly catch Ramirez and it's getting close he's getting close like you said about two laps to go he had pretty much caught him and now it was where can he make the move is he does he still have enough tire left you know it has Ramirez burned up so much tire that he's gonna you know his pace is gonna drop so if they could have put that in like a big picture and then in like the bottom corner had a camera on Pedro Costa showing him, you know, 
going for this championship win. Uh, I I wish they would you know sort of utilize something like that. Yeah, I think I think like in yeah I think in Supercross and I think Motocross they do like a battle box thingy, mm -hmm. so they might divide divide the the thing by two. So I think that that would be an interesting idea to see in MotoGP as well. Like, you know, obviously they have the small onboards they can do whenever they show the. Uh, they, they show the race running order, but I think you could mm -hmm. you could do a a bit a, a bit bigger screen, you know, showing the battle a battle or something like that, in in other places. You know, you you could sell that to a sponsor. You could say that well, this is the Pirelli battle thingy or whatever, right. whatever, and you could you could point out some some battle going on. I think that's an interesting idea. You know, I'm I'm sure there are. Uh, you know, smart people thinking of things to make it more exciting. But I think these are these are one of the times when I wish, because obviously we want to we want a social focus to the, the, the upcoming champion. But still, I don't think I don't think it's the most exciting thing to watch Pedro Costa do his last lap. In I think it's talking about like I mean I'm I'm sure I couldn't be a commentator, but they get talking about you know Pedro Costa doing his last lap of Moto Two, and I'm like. We we still have two races to go. This is yeah. not his last lap in one or two ever. <laughs> like, like, I heard, yeah. I heard so, them so I, say that, and that made me laugh really hard because they're like in his last laps in Moto Two. I'm like, we we still have a couple races to go. Like he's not retiring. He's not like, oh, I won the championship. I'm not doing the last two races. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 not like Valentino Rossi's last lap of Modern GP, so it's mm -hmm. I think I think we could we could we could have shown a bit of focus to the to the panel for the podium, but regardless, an entertaining one. Oh yeah. Um so looking at the standings, Pedro Acosta has wrapped up the championship on three hundred and twenty and a half points. Uh Tony Arbolinos in a solid second place with two hundred and forty three and a half points. Uh, the battle for the third place is still sort of up for grabs. You have uh, Jake Dixon on 183 and then Furman Aldegar on 162. So you, you're looking at a 21-point difference. I mean, it could happen if uh, Aldegar stays on the form he's on. I mean, Jake Dixon isn't doing horrible, but he's you know not really getting you know results that would keep him in that contention i mean he finished fifth place in this race so if if it stays in that consistency where aldegar is battling for wins and jake dixon's sort of like somewhere in the top 10 it, it's possible yeah i mean i i just want to you know, bury my prediction of Aaron Connett finishing third because that's that's not happening at this mm -hmm. hour. But yeah, Aldegar could, could very, very well do it. It's very plausible. Yeah, so uh, moving up to MotoGP, uh, for the sprint race, we had a podium of Alex Marquez, Jorge Martin, and Peko Benyaya. Um I was really surprised, well, I don't want to say surprised because all weekend we saw that uh, Alex Marquez was, you know, near the top of the standings in the practices. Um, so, but to see him get another sprint win was was nice. You know, he, somewhat of a dominant race, he was a, uh, one and a half seconds up from uh, Jorge Martin. Um who was about another like one and a half seconds up on Pekka Benyaya. So 
um, this race, this sprint, so, you know, got to call it a sprint, um, definitely showed what um, something David Emmett put out about. He looked at how uh, Jorge Martin and Pekka Banyaya like where the standings would be if they only did sprints and if they only had GPs. Um, and he found that uh, Jorge Martin clearly does better in the sprints and uh, Pekka Banyaya does better in the GPs. Um, I think this race just, or this sprint just, you know, sort of fortified that. Um, what were your thoughts on the sprint race? I mean, you know, I, I love me some Alex Marquez winning the race. I think that was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. Yes. Uh, it was interesting because we saw uh, the one rider you had mentioned was the rider in fourth, which was Enea Bastianini. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, after last weekend, literally qualifying in last place. Impressive to the form. You know, he got, he got what, third place, you know, qualified third. And then he was right in the thick of it, you know. You know, it, it looked like Nea Bastellini from 2022 was, you know, just just blasted on onto here like straight away, like like nothing ever happened. And it was interesting to see him behind Peko, especially at the latest stages of the race, because yeah, I think you saw like Peko's tires go away a bit, and Nea was clearly a lot faster. But I think I, I think he realized that you know this is this is maybe not the place to pass him because he knew about the title fight. I, I don't think there were any team orders, but it really looked like... I think Enea could have made the pass if he wanted to for the podium. But I think he, he must have had his eyes for the for the race, uh, like the next time, uh, the Sunday race, because it looked like, you know, well, this is just a sprint podium. It's, it's, it's not like the end of the world. So I think it's an interesting one. But yeah, I have to give a shout out to him. But obviously... Mm-hmm. Like Alex Marquez, uh, from my point of view, like I think last weekend, I I'm pretty critical of Alex Marquez in terms of like he has a lot of speed. You can see it. He's won two sprint races this season, but uh, uh, to to me he makes mistakes a bit too often in terms of like on his day he can clearly be like one of the fastest, if not the fastest. But then well, there are just too many weekends where he makes some some sort of mistake. Usually he's you know, the general mid of the road, you know, nothing nothing to be ashamed of. But just just a few few many mistakes like last week and fighting for the podium and that's that's unfortunate. I think in, in some terms he reminds me of a bit of like Calcatro in terms of like Calcutta win races, but then he could also like DNF out of a lot of them. Uh, not maybe to the same extent, but in a similar way. So I'm happy to see Alex Marquez, you know, execute a complete weekend in that sense, you know, getting the first place and not quite win. Uh, on the second time around, but still an impressive second place on Sunday, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, with Anaya Bastianini, he now is using a thumb rear brake on the bike. I guess he's been trying to get used to that, and he, apparently he figured it out. You know, he was able to look like the Anaya of last year, and is this a sign of what's to come? Who knows? We'll see how he does in Qatar. Uh, that was a race he won last year. Um, so, you know, he's going to a track he knows. Hopefully he's found some comfort with this uh, thumb rear brake and, you know, can make it work for him going forward. You know, we'll see how he does in Qatar and Valencia. Um 
um, I feel like the sprint was definitely a good precursor for what was to come on Sunday. Because, I mean, we know with the sprints, you can't just base uh, how a GP is going to go. Uh, everybody's using different strategies and stuff like that. And you know, some people, like we saw with what we've seen with uh, David Emmett's findings from sprint to, uh, to the GPs, some riders are sprint riders, some riders are GP riders. And uh, when we go to the uh, GP, we have a podium of Anea Bastianini, Alex Marquez, and Pekka Benyaya. Uh, this race, you know, Anea took the lead on the first lap and just never gave it up. Uh, tried very hard to, you know, take it from him, but... I think because of the the sprint race and how Anaya is feeling with this bike now, I this was Alex didn't have a chance of passing him. Yeah, I think I think we saw him. I think he said on the press conference that he maybe managed a bit too far. We saw him drop drop back like he was quite close at the at the start of the race and he stayed there, and then he dropped back a bit. I think to conserve just his front tire, not not being too close to him. But I think he. He maybe miscalculated that a bit, and he could have tried to go forward, uh, forward a bit earlier. I think he could, he could pretty much do the same pace as Enea did. I don't know if he had a lot more in the reserve. I think that's that, that's what did he mean. I think I think if he had tried to get more out of it, you know, earlier on, you know, who knows? Um, again, that could have you know misfired, and you know he could have burned out these tires faster, and Bakhnaya could have caught him. But I think. Uh, Maybe that's something he could have done, but honestly, I don't think after Adea took the lead, you know, if he had taken the lead straight away from back from him, maybe then, but honestly, it, it did look like Adea was a man on a mission. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it, you could just tell, he, even in the warm-up, like, or in the pre-race, uh, you could just see he had that look on him, like, I, I know I can win this. You know, be based on how the sprint went and, you know, just how he's feeling on the bike, you know, you, you could just see it on his face. And then to watch him go out there and be able to execute it. I mean, you know, you, you look at the gaps. He was, a, uh, whenever the race ended, he was a uh, second and a half up on uh, Alex Marquez, three seconds up on Pekka Benyaya, um, so, I mean, they, like, it wasn't just like, oh, he went out. though. No, he went out there and he, you know, was able to build up some gaps and, you know, really you know, show us that form he had last year. Um, you know, hopefully this sort of, like, puts those rumors to bed about, like, uh, Ducati switching Ashinini for Martin. Um I don't think that was ever going to happen. I feel like that was just sort of a fan rumor or like a, a reporter rumor going around to sort of like build up some drama. I don't think Ducati was ever going to just, even if Martin won or wins the championship, I don't think they're going to make this move and, you know, Paul Bastianini out after uh, one season. He's been so injury-ridden and just had the worst luck all season. You can't just make a choice like that based off one bad season, even if you do have a rider like Jorge Martin. 
battling for the championship. Yeah, I, so I hope that sort of like maybe puts Anaya's nerves at ease and he can just sort of do, you know, have races like this for Qatar and Valencia. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think there was a small possibility they might do it if, if Jorge Martin wins the championship, but I think this this result, as he said, you know, it, it hopefully puts all that to rest. And I think I just like this in terms of just, just the fact that I was looking at the championship standings and I realized the only Ducati that not have his podium is Enea Bastianini. And I think that would have been a weird statistics, you know, when you, when you compare it to the last season to think that Bastianini would be the only Ducati right this season. So I'm, I'm happy that he got that. And especially that it was a win, you know, it was um, not even a podium. Like he clearly showed that he's, he's the best. He can be the best, you know, mm-hmm. and that's just, you know, very happy to see him back there, and also I just want to mention I think I think we haven't seen this type of a race previously. Like we saw two other Ducati riders beat the two championship contenders, and I don't think we have seen this type of race like many often this season. Like usually you see either Bagnaia or Martin be second or, th- or third. Obviously they have crashed out of races, so that's that not counting in. But whenever they both finished, I don't think we have seen many races where two other Ducati riders have just straight up beat them. In a full length race, I think that's not that that has that has not happened well because you have seen they have been the two best riders of this season. So I think that's an interesting interesting thing, and it just goes to see how, show that how competitive, you know, they, uh, one of the Ducati riders can be at a given weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, looking down the order, but you had Jorge Martin. He did finish fourth, but he did finish ten seconds behind. Um, he just, I, I don't know, because at, at first he was battling for, uh, he was trying to pass, um, and I don't know what it was, but w- whenever he couldn't make the move, he just sort of dropped like a stone. Um, he still finished, uh, about five seconds ahead of, um, Fabio Quattararo, um, who, uh, yeah, Bono gave a shout out to for his rider of the day, but um, we'll get to that in a little bit. He's got a different choice, so. Yeah, I wanted to mention about Martin. I think the problem he had was the tire, basically because he had already the warning for the tire pressures. He had to run a lot higher tire pressures, and when he ran ran right right behind Bagnaya, both the temperature went up because he was so close. And because his tire pressure was so up, he just he, he couldn't follow him like straight closely. Like th- there's no way he could pass him because the tire pressure was off to the roof, and it's just it's just no way. Only 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 possibility he had was to drop down because otherwise he probably would have had one front dead washout at some point if he had stayed close enough. So I think that's I think he was very critical of the tire pressure ruling system uh, in terms of it ruining races. I think the only I don't know if it's a saving grace in any way, but now Peko Bagnaya also has a tire pressure warning. I mean, mm-hmm. pretty obviously, because he ran most of the race on his own in his, you know, and I think he was prepared to have a have a battle with others, so he prepared to have a lot of lower lower tire pressures in terms of yeah, he was expected to be in a group, and that, that didn't pan out. So now Peko also has a warning. I don't know if it's better or worse, but I think it's just... Maybe a bit like a fair in terms of now they both have so any one of them can get the warning at this point. But you know it's it's not a good situation to have to expect 
either of them to get a three-second penalty, maybe at some point. Right. And looking at uh, some other negatives from this race weekend, uh, Honda, we just keep kicking this dead horse. Uh, they hit the half-century mark for crashes in a season. And now I can't wait to see the crash report at the end of the season because I'm, I think Mir has to be at the top at this point. It, I mean, it's becoming it's, just a, a, a like, I don't know what to call a tradition this season where at some point during the race, you will see Juan Mir crashed. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I like I don't want to laugh. It's obviously very bad, but I mean it's it's just a meme. Like you see, bad mood to see memes put out with Valtteri mm. Bottas, you know, show, showing that Heineken beer or whatever it is, <laughs> be like traditions, and that is like I counted at this point. If John Beer finishes the next two races, he still wouldn't have finished half of the races. Like he, he still would have DNF more races than he finished. Obviously, obviously he was out for four races, so that that you know but i think honestly at this point like the four races he was out probably saved him from having given more crashes so it's just <laughs> yeah it... no words it is so bad that alex rins chose like found every way he could not to get back on the honda like he made it seem like he wanted to he really tried but he's just found every way to not get back on that honda I mean, I mean, he has raced one race, hasn't he? Like in between, like, like he was back for a while, so it's mm -hmm. it's not like he, he completely missed out on everything. But I mean, he after after that, you know, I think I think a pretty heroic ninth place he got back in I think India was it? Yeah, mm -hmm. I know Indonesia, Indonesia. I think he has just realized that this is this is not going his way in any way. But yeah, you know, Mark, he did Mark things. He tried to tow around Franco Morbidelli, crashed out. After that, mm. we got twentieth place, and after I think after the sprint, he says, "You know, well, it doesn't matter if I finish twenty first or fifteenth, you know." So I think just, I mean, just goes to show. But one person I do want to mention because I expected more was Brad Binder, who crashed out because, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, like he, I think he finished fifth in the sprint race, which was okay, and I think I expected more. You know, I expected him to have a good start and be up there, maybe like fourth, fifth around, and then nothing happened. I think he was already falling behind whenever even before he crashed out it was interesting yeah he yeah he did finish fifth in the sprint race and it i mean ktm because you had jack miller he did, um, finished sixth in the sprint race uh finished eight in the uh in the gp um this race was just sort of all over the place because you had like riders like brad bender you thought like oh he's been doing well this season he crashes out um, you had Alicia Spargaro who had that really nasty fire incident in, uh, one of the free practice, uh, sessions. Um, you know, you had, you know, Mark Marquez finishing 13th. You had Zarco finishing 12th. You know, there was, it was sort of all over the place. Um, you know, at one point Takanakagami crash rejoined, um, yeah, Taka Nakagami, like, tries to keep with the Honda DNF rate straight, you know? He's like, I'm going to continue with this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no DNFs. I, I think he must have a few DNFs. No, wait. Taka Nakagami sure only has one DNF. 
I was about to say, I'm pretty sure he's the most consistent Honda rider. Like, he's the one who hasn't been crashing and has been finishing almost all the races. So, I mean, he, I feel like, yeah, he just had, he was like, I got to keep my streak intact. I cannot, <laughs> I cannot crash out of this race. Um, yeah. Yeah, he was 102 seconds behind the leader, um, which, you know, he was one spot below uh, Batista who, you know, finished the 17th. I mean, that was... Uh, it, it's always cool to see wild cards come in and to see how they fare against other riders. And, I mean, Sepang is a track that Batista has a lot of experience at. But to see just how far behind he was to everybody. I mean, when you look at some of the other wild cards we've had this season, I mean, you've got, like... Well, clearly the benchmark is Pedrosa, but you've had Piero coming in, uh, Brottle, uh, Folger, um, you know, Kyle Crutchlow, you, 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 Ika Lekawona is basically a regular at this point, so I don't know if, you know, if he counts as a wild card. But, I mean, to just watch, like, every once in a while, I'd be like, oh, where's Batista at? Oh, oh, he's he's dead last, and he's, like, a good ways back. I mean, I mean, I mean to be fair to Batista, I think he had a neck injury that was after after the last test of World Superbike. He he got a nasty nasty neck injury that he he didn't even share. But I think that that also played a part in it. I mean, obviously his his pace was still not up there, but maybe he could have been a bit further up. But I think at this point, you know, you you can't have Danny Perosa as your pension benchmark because obviously he's just better than the rest, like 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 by a country mile. You know, so I think yeah, but I mean, I think it was nice to have Bautista have this have this wild card regardless of where he finished. Um, obviously, it would have been better if he didn't have that injury, but still, you know, got some racing yeah. done with it. And like Wona, I think like Wona maybe enjoyed more beating Bautista than, than Bautista enjoyed being out there. Yeah. So, uh, rider of the day, uh, like I mentioned earlier, but yeah. Ano gave uh, Fabio uh, an honorable mention, saying uh, I would have picked Fabio because, again, speaks for itself. But if that bike could qualify, he would have been on the podium, hands down. Not a bad showing from Yamaha, but still way off uh, where they need to be. Uh, But for his rider of the day, and this is why I didn't feel bad taking Colin Fire in Moto3. Bono picked Anea Bastianini and said, I'm breaking my own rule here in picking the winner because, oh my lord, am I happy to see Anea back on at the front. Me and Josh were craving this form from him as soon as he was announced at Factory Ducati, and it's good to see him back at the front end. So, who are you picking? I'm tempted to go with Alex Marquez overall the whole weekend, but I think I, think I have to pick Fabio. I think Fabio is just... It's just that, you know, uh, it hasn't been a lot of highlights in terms of, like, massively great moments, but it's just when he has a, when he's having a good weekend, it's like, I think it's a sneakily good one. Like, you look at the look at the race result at the end, and Fabio is fifth, and you're like, wow, that's phenomenal, you know, when considering that he usually qualifies somewhere between, you know, 12th and 9th. Maybe, maybe a bit further up, he has a really good weekend, but then, you know, and, and it's just, it's just, you know, Usually he doesn't even like he makes some overtakes, but whenever you know that that might even get overtake others, you're just like, how how did he end up fifth? But it just goes to show that you know none of the talent left him. And I think after uh, the difficulties at the start of the season, I think 
you're feeling a bit unmotivated because of the lack of the progress of the bike. You see this weekends from Fabio, it's just phenomenal, and you just, you know, mm. you know, I think I've gotten Mark Marquez on a Grassini Ducati, I think my, my energy is now going forward to lobbying whatever team wants to take Fabio, unless it's not Honda, to, to you know, ride for them, because, because I think, but honestly, I think we deserve to have Fabio fighting up there with, with you know, the race winners, because that's that's clearly where he belongs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I think your uh, your rider of the day will pair nicely with Mike because I'm going with Franco Morbidelli. Um, getting a P7, there's he, he's had good some like good weekends, but more bad weekends than he has good this season. So to see him get P7, um, you know, it, it, it's good to see. It's nice to see Frankie. You know, doing well. I'm I'm really excited to see what he's going to do going over to Pramac. Um, and you know, this says a lot because I was very very critical of Yamaha in preseason stuff. So, you know, it, it is good to see they're doing well. They're trying to make the most that they can on that bike. It's it's not as bad as the Honda, but it's still not good. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to uh, Jack Miller. By the way, we have been. We have been very critical of Jack Miller, but this was a good weekend from him. You know, qualifying good. I think he finished sixth in the sprint race, so right behind Brad Binder, yeah. you know, he was up there, up there with him. I think that's that's you know generally what you would expect from a KTM. You know, I wouldn't expect Jack to be beating Jack, uh, Brad all the time. And then in the race, you know, he fell back a bit, but that's that's usually what happens to Jack. And I think expecting expecting. Um, you know, resurgent by the end of the race is not what's going to happen. But you know, to to finish eighth, that's that's a completely solid result for him. You know, I think mm. he, he still was the best of the KTM's, and you know, that's a that's overall I think a good weekend in terms of given how badly the results have been as of late. So I think that's a that's a good one. I wanna I, I wanna show that I just don't I only don't hate on Jack Miller. You know, I do appreciate him whenever he does well. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, looking at the standings, um, in first place we have Pekka Benyaya on 412 points. Uh, Jorge Martin is in second on 398. Uh, Marco Bedzecki is in uh, third place on 323 and is mathematically out. Cannot, you know, no way in hell. Even with, you've got sprint race and GP points, there's still no way. Um Interesting note, so with this next sprint at Qatar, the uh, single-season points record will be broken. Um, you know, it's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's, I mean, if Peko finishes, uh, what, he needs eight points? So Second. If he finishes yeah. second. Yeah. yeah. If he finishes sec- first or second, he will break it, uh, it with the sprint race. Um, so I I saw that, and I'm like, it got me thinking, like, it, I'm sure there was more to it bringing in these sprint races, but with the points from the sprint races, you had to know they were going to be like, oh, we're going we're gonna to be able to break Mark's record or, you know, have somebody else finally break the record because there was no way that record was ever going to be broken with a normal season setup like it used to be. 
Yeah, yeah, no, no way. As, as, you, as you said, with a, with a normal normal setup, I mean, anything anything's possible. I wouldn't say like ever, but I think it would require like an extraordinary season. Like, I I I don't I don't have the points added up from Malaysia, but I think at at this point, if they were having a normal season, they are still, I think, oh. They they are still like behind three hundred points in terms of like a normal season. I think they are around somewhere with the three hundred mark if they just were counting the normal, um, normal season points. So I think that just goes to show that sprint race points really do matter in this instance. Mm-hmm. It's it'd be it's interesting to see where uh where it would be if. They hadn't introduced the uh, sprint concept. You know how different. You know, going off the um, article that David Emmett put out. You know, he he was able to see that it would be that um, Pecco would be in the lead. Um, so it, I don't think it'd be much different. Um, up the article here. So if they went off of GPs only, Ekabanaya would be on uh, 266 points. That is, so that was before this weekend. Yeah. 266, did you say? Yeah. Yeah, that was before yeah. this weekend. So with this, what he got, uh, third place, so sixteen it's, points. So it's two hundred and eighty-two points. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it still would be nowhere close to breaking the record. Um, and it, looking at just sprint races, you, um, Jorge Martin would be leading with one hundred and thirty-five points to Pecco's one twenty-three. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, for Peko's sake, when you look at, like, last season, I think he's, last season he scored, like, 265 points. So I think, you know, he's he's clearly, like, outscored his last season's points, so I think this is a better season from him, but I think in terms of, like, overall championship points finishes, this is not, it's it's not at the highest ends of points scored when winning a championship. Mm-hmm. When you look at, yeah. Yeah, when you take out the sprint, the whole sprint race thing, it definitely like, like you look at the numbers now, and he's on four hundred twelve points, and that you know, that's really high for what we're used to. And when you take out the sprints, and you actually see, oh, he'd just be on two hundred sixty six. Yeah, well, two hundred eighty two now. Yeah, that's why I think, like, when you consider dominance, and obviously, obviously, none of the points matter. Uh, as long as you have more points <laughs> than the mm-hmm. one behind, like, 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 the amount doesn't in itself matter. But I think when that's why when you consider like what's a dominant season and how they form, I think it's 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 more valuing to look at not just not just points numbers, but like points percentages and what the finishes actually were and all the other stuff. Because I think I think like the for for example like the percentage of the points available that that's a much more much more use, a useful number when when it, when you consider how dominant someone was. Like obviously, 
obviously, like, for example, Mark's record was great, but when you consider he also had one more race than usually the other, or like two more races than the other, than the previous points record Hua has. So I think that's a, that's also something that, you know, it's it's not just the numbers, but I mean, yeah, I do have to agree with you. Like, it just feels like, well, you can say, well, you know, most points scored ever in the season. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, you know, when I, whoever wins the championship, they're going to have that, like, th- there's going to be some promotional thing, whether it's from MotoGP or from whoever the team is, whether it's uh, Actor Ducati or Pramac, they're going to have some sort of, like, the most points in a single season. Yeah, somebody is going to take advantage of that. Um, so, looking at... For the final thing for MotoGP Fantasy, uh, you can, if you know, we only got two races to go, but hey, if you feel so inclined to, uh, please feel free to hop in. Uh, you can join our uh, Fantasy League by uh, searching Red Sector GP uh, on the MotoGP Fantasy page. Uh, in first place, we have Remy the Gardener. Uh, in Second place, we have Pivo Pivo, and third place, we have Drifter 22 team. Um, it's getting close up there. I mean, they're all with the, their points totals, points totals are all within uh 2800 points. So, uh, it's I mean, Remy the Gardener is on uh 2881. Um, Pivo Pivo's on 2,837. So there's, you know, 40-some points between them. It's it's not impossible, um, but... Yeah. Shout out to Pivo Pivo. I see you're from Sweden. I hope you lose, because... No, no, no one in Finland ever wants anyone in, anyone in Sweden to succeed. But anyway, it's it's good it's good to see some some other Scandinavians up there, but yeah. Yeah, so uh yeah, be sure to join our fantasy league if you feel so inclined to. Um you, you know, depending on how you do, you might get a shout out. Um even if we just you know, going through and see a funny name we think you know, might be interesting or might be worth a shout out. Uh, so Lisa, anything else for this race weekend? Any final thoughts? Uh, nothing, you know. Do you have any any good predictions for Qatar? You know, I think I'm gonna say Ida Bastille is gonna win. You know, I have I have no basis for this other than the last weekend. But you know, <laughs> let's just go for it. Um, let's see. Kind of thing. Um. Predictions for Qatar. Uh, as far as the race itself, um, I I feel like this is. I don't think we're gonna start seeing like anything drastic from uh, the two front runners from uh, Benyaya and Martin. Um, it is getting down to the wire, so you might see Martin try to pull something out. He might like start throwing the elbows out a little more. If he's near Benyaya, um, I don't think he's. You're going to see some like drastic dive bomb or anything like that. But I do think it. You know, you're going to start seeing Martin kind of be like, you know, it, it, we've got two races left. I really have to make some inroads if I want to win this. So, 
Um, I I want to see some spicy overtaking between them. You know, I, I wanna I wanna see them. I'll see them actually fight for it on track, preferably. But but I'll, I'll take I'll take a press conference fight if if it, if it comes to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean we're not looking to see uh you know Malaysia 2015 or anything like that. But you know if if we see Martin get up underneath Benyaya and just like open the throttle so he runs him a w- little bit wide, bring it on. Yeah, so with that, that'll do it for today. And with that, keep the throttle pinned.